long time since we've been here in Penang Trinity and I remember um, the first time I ever stepped on here um, they had to put a little box for me because I was so short um, so I was a little bit nervous about coming back but I see it's already here and everybody uses it so I don't feel so strange <laughs> um, um, before I start um, I would like um, Peter to give us an update since it's been such a long time since we've been here to let you know um, what we've been doing we've been in Papua for almost 20 years now and we've not always been able to stop by in Penang Trinity. So um, let's take some time. Good morning. Firstly, I'd like to thank uh, Pastor Sharon for giving us this time to share our ministry, the word, and even lead worship this morning. It was, uh, it's great to hear all your voices praising God, and it really... Touch me even as uh, we lead uh, that uh, to hear your fervent faith and prayers uh, lift up to the Lord. Um, I'd like to bring greetings from our home church of CGMC, Kenningganan Methodist Church in Ipoh. And uh, we didn't bring our children this time because our kids are all over the place. This is a picture of our latest uh, photo of our family. Um, my wife and I, Angie, are career missionaries with Wycliffe, Wycliffe Bible Translators in Malaysia. We have three children, David, who's 28, Daryl, who's going to be 25, and Hannah is going to be 21. We serve as Bible translators in the province of Papua, Indonesia. Now, it's quite tricky because it's very easy to send us to uh, Papua New Guinea, which is on the other side of the island. So we are from uh, Papua, Indonesia. I'll tell you more about that. Have, have, has anyone been to Papua before? Anyone? Oh, you have. Oh, that's great. Okay. Come, come visit us next time. Well, uh, I'd like to invite you, for those who, want to, who are interested, to come to visit us in Papua and be part of what God is doing there. So, how do I get to Sintani, Papua? Just a quick run-through. Um, from Ipoh, you make your way down to KLIA, take a two-hour flight to Jakarta, and then stay there for like a few hours. Take the next flight, a five-hour flight internally to Jayapura in Papua, and arriving there at 7 a.m. In, in the next morning. So the actual journey only takes like maybe seven hours total flight time, but all in all, you take about 12 hours of travel to reach door to door. So and when you reach there, you're so tired probably you need to sleep half the day to recover. <laughs> so that's our experience. Uh, in Papua, just a bit of information. Okay, for information, the Papua is on the western side. If you see the center line, you know, dividing the island in half, uh, Papua Indonesia is on the left side. So. Papua is a province of Indonesia and is home to about, well, more than 270 languages and has Bahasa Indonesia as its national language. The first missionaries to Papua Indonesia were, were two men. They were called Otto and Geisler, yeah, their last names. They landed on the island of Mansinam and claimed Papua for the glory of God on the 5th of February, 1855. That was a long time ago, 1855. So, how did we end up as missionaries? A quick run-through for those who do not know us that well. Who are we? Who is Peter and Angie? Well, we are just normal day-to-day -day people like yourself. <laughs> uh, we came to know Jesus as our Savior and Lord. We grew up in the Christian community and served actively in church, just like you are doing now. Um, that was when Angie was from six. We knew each other since then. <laughs> Long time ago. Okay, some flashbacks. All these uh, old pictures I'm going to show you. Okay, this is me. 
Uh, I used to be a teacher. I taught in Yamaha Music School for a good 10 years. Before that, I felt God was telling me to uh, work in church, to give my time to serve in a children's ministry. So after many years, I transitioned from a teacher to, to teach uh, uh, Sunday school and be in charge of the kids' ministry there. Now, Angie, on the other hand, uh, yeah, she was a church administrator and she transitioned into full-time youth ministry. Uh, you might recognize some faces there. <laughs> There's Susan in the center, I believe. And uh, so at the same time, uh, yeah, she became a youth worker in CGMC in the 1990s. In 93, 1993 seems like a long time ago, but uh, in 1993, we got married. Okay, I told you we were normal. We have the awkward wedding photos to show off. <laughs> and uh, we continued to serve God actively in church. And even though our ministries were growing, you know, there were a lot of kids coming to know Christ and, uh, you know, in church, we felt that there was something still missing in our, in our lives. We, we felt an emptiness in our whole being. And that was, on hindsight, we, now we know there was God pushing us to commit more to missions and, and to bring us out of our comfort zone. We joined Wycliffe Bible Translators in, in year 2000 and studied linguistics in, in Melbourne and we were trained to do work in local language communities, be sensitive to their felt needs, help design writing systems for those who don't have a writing system, translate the Word of God and Bible study materials, um, teaching stuff and liturgical materials in, in, in their own language. However, in practice, when we landed in Papua, we found lots of challenges, lots of um, uh, relationship challenges. And following the following nine years, we were, we, were working with, we were working with the Wallach group. Now, without going into too much details, there were basically disagreements among the leadership regarding who should be doing the work of Bible translation. And so to avoid making a volatile situation worse, we choose to bow out and we focus on scripture use instead. So we helped produce Bible background books for the Wallach pastors who were there. Uh, we did book one of uh, a set of four books which has been printed and distributed. And book two, while we were working on that, we got involved in storying. Now, storying is a very interesting uh, process of creating stories from the scriptures into their language so that they can hear the, the word of God because a lot of the people in, in, uh, in Papua are not literate. So for them, reading is a challenge. So we want to give them oral uh, material so that they can hear the word of God and their faith can, can grow. Okay. Sorry. Going back. Okay, forward. Sorry. Sorry, I'm a technological challenge. <laughs> so after being back in Nepal uh, in 2020, during the pandemic, we returned to Papua and my, my uh, assignment changed. Uh, the leader of the church there was our sponsor, needed someone to be in the Bible uh, college, that, uh, the Bible school that they have started. So now I'm, uh, the, the word stuck in there is Kolatingi Atas Kajuruan Injili. Uh, it's a Bible school started by three mission organizations back in the 1970s. And the church saw a need there and they wanted uh, help in those areas. So that was not what I planned to do. We were there to do Bible translation. So um, we were a bit, I was a bit disappointed, to, to be honest, uh, because I felt that uh, our focus was changing. 
but we trusted God still. We say, God, if you open this door for us and there's a huge need uh, for the people to be trained in, in Bible college, well, uh, we, we will avail ourselves. So in 2022, yeah, I joined the, the school and involved in teaching computers. And the next semester, I'll be teaching Bible subjects like Old Testament surveys and also uh, missiology. Our hope and our desire basically was to, is to be in the village, working with people, translating the word of God and working with their language. But with this short diversion, uh, we believe that God will bring this around if it's his will. So we will continue to do what we are doing now until the Lord opens the door for us to go back uh, to the village. But for now, uh, I'm a teacher at uh, this Stuckin school, and that's a picture of the latest group of students graduated, who graduated last month. So we need to be obedient to, to know what God is doing and, and, and just listen to it. Uh, when we first got to missions, we didn't know where God was going to send us. We just knew that we have to be obedient and say yes and go to missions. And throughout the journey, we've been affirmed you know, time and time again that that's the path that God wanted for us. So we'll continue to do that. Now, Angie is a coordinator of the SIL um, Bible Translations. Oh, hang on. Let me just get this correct. <laughs> One more. Okay. She's a coordinator of the SIL Asia Bible Translation team. And uh, SIL recruited Angie recently, the international side of it, to be part of the international translation services. Now, Angie, this role sees Angie traveling a lot. And every year in October, a Bible translation conference is held in the, in the U.S. And she's been attending the past three years. But uh, this time around, she's been invited to give the closing speech, uh, the closing uh, address to the banquet. So pray for the Lord's inspiration uh, for her as she inspires the international community uh, in Bible translation. And this is the... Key, these are some key roles that Angie is doing and some key responsibilities that she has. How can you pray for us? Well, uh, you can pray for us. These are some of the prayer points. Oh, hang on. Before we go to the prayer points, I just want to show you this graphic. This is uh, a graphic that shows kind of like our journey. Don't you wish sometimes when you plan something, it works out exactly as you planned it? That's, that's, that's good, isn't it? Well, we plan a certain way when we went to missions. It's like, you know, us on a bicycle and it's a straight road to where we were going to go. But as we found out that, uh, you know, life is not so simple as, as that. Uh, this is more like our journey. It was not a straight road, but we had the dips in the road, you know, then the next part, which had a bridge, we had to cross. Uh, it seems that there were a lot of challenges for, for us in our journey to missions. Uh, and we still continue to, to face it. So we ask for your prayers for us that we can keep true to our path and that we can achieve what God wants us to do. So this is our prayer. We praise God for this new assignment. Pray for me as I, in my teaching role. Praise God for the house that we're staying in right now. There's still renovations and uh, most of this uh, is done by us locally. Uh, we continue to find favor with the uh, Walak, which is a great thing, and pray for the possibility to return to the village, if that's what God wills. So thank you for your time, and uh, pass this time back to Angie.
So, um, you know, we go in there to missions. We thought we would even join YWAM because, you know, we do more singing, dancing, drama. But God called us to Bible translation. But when we went to live in the village, she called my husband to be electrician, plumber, carpenter, and all the rest of it. So actually, it's quite useful. <laughs> He's learned many more skills since then. Um, a lot of times when we come back to Malaysia, we get chatting with all our friends and, and even people that we've just met. And I hear this same thing said over and over again. They always say, we can't do what you do. Lah. Um, and that Bible translation seems like such a difficult thing to be involved in. And I usually tell them, that's okay. Because Bible translation is something that God has called us to. But it does not mean that God has called you to it. But I hope that even as we share about our life and our ministry, um, in the course of this, you or some of you, your children, may be inspired to become Bible translators. That would be amazing. But regardless, what is of utmost importance is that we be where God wants us to be. I would rather live in a difficult situation in obedience to God then live comfortably in disobedience so um, this is something that we want to um, challenge you and, and let's just go to the Lord in prayer Father I just ask that you speak in and through me Holy Spirit I ask that you stir the hearts of my brothers and sisters here I pray that you will um, seal to them what you want them to hear and not what um, what it comes from my flesh, I ask for your Holy Spirit to inspire, to lead, and to guide. And we ask, Lord, that um, we will hear you and respond in obedience to you. I pray this in your name. Amen. So I want to say, without exception, though, this may sound a little strange, but without ex exception, every single person can and should be involved in missions or cross-cultural work in some capacity be it within this country or a foreign land. How? You can be involved in the spread of the gospel. If God has called you to go, please go. Please find out where God is calling you, what fits and what suits you, and go, right? It could be here. You know, Malaysia is so blessed with um, so many foreign workers that the mission field has come here already, but you need to learn their culture and their language and to touch their hearts, right? Um, but if God, if you can't go, you can give in whatever capacity, be it your time, your finances, or um, just being there encouraging those who are involved. Now, if you can't do that, that's okay. Because if you can't go, you can't give, guess what all of us can do? We can pray. And that's why I say without exception, Every single person can be involved in this mission field through your prayers. It is the prayers of the faithful saints that see us through every season. So wherever you are, you can make a dis uh, difference. How, you might ask. So let us start by let me um, sharing a little bit that in all the years that we've been in Papua, we have intentionally made ourselves accountable. So we as Wycliffe, um, joined with another couple from Mission Aviation Fellowship, MAF, joined with another couple from CMA, Christian Missionary Alliance, and every week we will get together 
to talk, to pray. We bring our children, we have dinner together. And um, for all these years, so many years, um, we've listened a lot to Tim Keller's sermons. So I would say that a lot of what Tim Keller has shared, um, his theology and, and just the way he sees things um, has really inspired and, and shaped um, my husband and I and our children too in, in how they understand um, God of grace. So um, it was very sad when last month um, Tim Keller passed away. But let me start first by quoting from him. He says, Jesus Christ did not leave a book. He left a community. If he left a book without a community, he would not have either. But if he left a community without a book, he knew they'll put one together. Indeed, our early church fathers determined that the final canon of what we know as the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, was done by the 4th century. We did do it. God knew. You see, what I'd like for us to understand here is that a community of believers is not just the result of preaching the gospel. The community of believers is a part of the declaration of the gospel. How we live together, you and I, and how we relate to one another can either validate or invalidate the good news that we desire so much to share with others. One Christian can certainly make a difference where he or she may be, but a Christian community can do more. As strange as it may sound, at times, one exceptional Christian community, uh, individual can actually repel people, but an exceptional Christian community can attract people. Why do I say this? Let me tell you a little bit about me. I became a Christian at a very young age, sometime in my early primary school years. But when I hit my teenage years, I was a rebel. And I really um, totally went against what I have known as truth and what I was raised in. I was into whatever that was cool. Or now this generation, I think they say whatever is on fire. Um, I was in it, whether it is the parties or the fashion or the music, count me in. But during that time, I also had one or two friends who kept trying to reach out to me. But to be honest, I found them to be off-putting, you know, those goody little two-shoes, you know, always simply annoying and coming to preach to me, you know, and they come across as holier than thou, you know. But it was not their intention. It was my guilt, right? And because of how sinful and selfish I was, everything that they did kind of amplified how sinful I was. And as such, I avoided them. But an invitation to a vibrant youth group a few years later completely turned my life around. MYF, you know, they had interesting activities, crazy games. They knew how to party within boundaries. And there was certainly, I felt that, well, their approval, I raised it like quite, not bad, quite cool, these fellas, you know. Then we go to YLDP, BLDP, Track Youth Camp, and all that. Lah. But what I found was that they were also not afraid to be vulnerable, to be honest to cry and share about their struggles. 
struggles that I had as well. And it surprised me. And it drew me in. I wanted to be a part of the group. It was cool to be part of the group. And I wanted to belong with them. So in a way, an exceptional community is better evidence of the gospel. Of course, I can never forget many of my colleagues who are working now in what we call sensitive areas. And many of the times, they are the one and only Christian community, a community of one. And God does amazing things through them to the people living in darkness around them. So there is a place, of course, for that one lone Christian to shine your light and the Holy Spirit will do amazing things through you. But today, I would like to address us as a community of believers, the church, to take some time to explore the kind of community that God desires. So, because I work a lot with people of all ages, young and old, would you read with me again this scripture passage? I know that you have heard it, but let's read it for ourselves. Shall we read it together? My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I chose this passage because it is Jesus' final discourse in the form of a prayer, right? When you know you are going to die, you don't really want to spend your time on small talk. You want to talk about what is important to you. I don't know about you, but I know for myself, if I'm going to die, I don't want to talk to my husband about why he again left the wet towel on the floor or didn't pick up something, okay? Those are not the things I want to talk about. I would be saying, can we get the children back home? I want to see them one last time. I want to hug them. I want to tell them I love them. I want to tell them, stay close to Jesus. You know, the important stuff in life, the things that matter for eternity. So here, we have an account of our Lord's final prayer before his crucifixion and death documented for us. This is something worth paying attention to. Although this particular segment actually goes on to verse 26, I've only stopped at verse 23 because there's just a lot to unpack, okay? Foundationally, in verse 20, Jesus is praying not just for the disciples alone, but also for those who believe in him through their message. That's us. That's you and I. We are the community who believe in him and belong to him. So these are the things that are closest to Christ's heart that he desires for us. What are they? Now, in the next three verses, I would like to discuss three things. What his prayer is about. Why is it important? And how do we get it? So the first one, what 
is prayer about? This prayer in verses 20 and 21 is peppered through. Quite obvious, I think. Jesus is asking the Father for the unity of all believers. That we all may be one as the Father and Son are one, and may be in the Lord just as the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father. He goes on in verse 23 to pray for God to bring us to complete unity. So what is the conclusion? Simple. The prayer is about unity for you and me. The believers in the community that belongs to Christ, I love that today we did pray for that. Across denominations around the world in different um, Christian tradition, but we belong to Christ. You know, I think he prayed this, the first thing, you know, for us as the followers of Christ. He did this because he knew how stinkingly difficult it is, honestly. I mean, I can do my job quite well, but sometimes it really is a pain to work with people. It is very frustrating, it can be discouraging, it can be very annoying, right? So, has anyone heard of the Dunning-Kruger effect? Can you see it? There's been a paper, research paper recently that came out to debunk this cognitive bias theory. But I like it, so I'm going to stick to it for now until more proof, all right? Essentially, it says people tend to overestimate their cognitive ability until and unless their competence increases to the point where they become aware of their shortcomings. So you always think you're very smart at first. Then you realize, actually, you're not so smart. Let's have a look at the chart. You see the peak of Mount Stupid? Friends, mine wasn't just a mountain of stupidity, okay? Mine is really a mountain range longer than the Andes, okay? But my pride and my ignorance greatly contributed to many of my difficulties in the workplace, which in turn threatened the unity of our team. So, you think lah, you know, so many years already, that I'm slowly descending this mountain range, that I will be more compassionate with those who are in the process of going up lah. You know, but maybe I should be more patient, right? And truly, I would like to think I've mellowed with age. But some things can really still agitate me. You can ask my husband. And the old self comes flaring up and it makes me want to quote Grogu. I am a Mandalorian Star Wars fan. Wisdom has been chasing you, but you always have it faster. I want to say that, lah, but I don't lah, because God won't let me. Lah. So I just think it sometimes, you know. And then you think, when God shows and, and I reflect and then I realize, maybe I should be saying that to myself a lot of time. It's my own self-pride and my own self-arrogance. Um, so, what is Jesus praying for us? He's praying for the unity among believers. So the next question is, why? Why is unity important? In the latter part of verse 21 and 23, Jesus gives two reasons why this unity is important. 
then the world will know that God has sent His Son to us. Number two, God has loved us as He loves the Son. First one, God has sent His Son to us. Jesus did not want the world to know that we are simply followers uh, of a carpenter's son who was born into our historical timeline to tell us how to save ourselves. It is important for the world to know that we are followers of the Son of the living God who was sent from the Father in heaven, who existed eternally before he even stepped into human history, whose death and resurrection are a part of our Creator's redemption plan to reconcile a fallen and sinful humanity with a holy and merciful God. It is absolutely important for the world to grasp that Jesus was not just fully man, but also fully God sent from the Father. If He was only man, He cannot save us. If He was only God, He cannot understand or reach us. He had to be both. The second thing is, God has loved us as He loves the Son. Jesus also wants the world to know that God loves us even as God loves Him. This is actually quite mind-boggling. The Greek word is kathos, to the same degree that God loves His Son. That's how much God loves us, sinful, selfish, arrogant people. The Father's love is so great that He loves us not as we deserve, but as Jesus deserves, both in quantity and in quality. The kind of love that is life-changing for both those who are loved, that's us, and those who witness that love, that's the world. This knowledge that Jesus had come from God the Father to be our Savior and that the Father loves this broken world just as much as He loves His Son, when we put this together, what do we have? Friends, we have the good news. That is essentially the gospel. So, conclusion. Why is unity important? The prayer for unity is important because the unity in our community is a demonstration and declaration of the gospel to the world. In the village that you saw, um, we had some pictures when we were, my children were young, our children were young in the village. It's in the central highlands of Papua, Indonesia. And the Wallach people Anytime you talk about the old pioneering missionaries, they have a deep love and respect for the APCM guys, the Asia Pacific Christian Mission missionaries, who opened up the post in Danama, where we are. That's um, Peter Sexton and his wife, Jenny. Um, during, actually, you can Google this, you know, if you just Google Papua conflict, you'll find a whole documentation of this. During the period of the Papua conflict in 1977, Peter Sexton sent his wife and children back to town for safety. But he remained in the village with the people. He had a band of believers he was discipling. And when the time came, he was beaten and tortured alongside his Papuan brothers. Many saw a deep and authentic 
faith in this group of men and made strong commitments to follow Jesus thereafter. The president of our Gidi Church right now, who sponsors our visa, named his firstborn son Sexton. Many still remember this time as if it happened yesterday. Almost 50 years on, they still talk about it with their children because they saw Jesus in Peter Sexton and the young pastors and it had a lasting and profound impact on their lives. Friends, unless the world sees a strong Christian community, the world will not actually believe our truth claims about Christ. Keller states that the honour of Jesus' name is bound up with the quality of the Christian community. In fact, in this verse 23, Jesus is really giving the world the right to reject the gospel if it is not backed up by a visible community different from others in the world. It says, so that they, that's us, may be brought to complete unity, then the world will know. If we are not in unity, the world may not know. And if the world does not know, how can they come to believe in Jesus? On the other hand, the good news is, the verse also implies that it is possible to have this kind of community. If Jesus is saying it, and he's calling us to it, then surely it means that it is attainable. And if so, if this is true, how? How do we get it? How do we achieve this unity? Not uniformity, but unity. With all our strengths and weaknesses, I have strengths that you don't, you have strengths I don't. We work together. As we all know, this unity that Jesus prayed for is not easily achievable. The key, I believe, is embedded in verse 22, where Jesus said, I have given them the glory that you gave me. While the true glory of God will be revealed fully in the future, it is not revealed only in the future. Christ, while on earth, has revealed to God's character and person to all of us. Now, we see and contemplate God's glory through the eyes of faith with the help of the Holy Spirit. And could you help me? And let's read some of the things that, oh, a bit small, can see ya? Cannot see ya. A bit small. Never mind. I read, eh? Um, when Paul wrote in his letter to the Corinthians, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. He goes on in chapter 4 to say, For God who said, Let light shine of darkness, make His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And in 1 John 3, Dear friends, we are now children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. The 18th century poet William Blake once said, We become 
what we behold. Centuries later, in 2016, there's this Canadian video game developer. His name is Nicky Case. And he created this five-minute point-and-click video game. But caveat, please, please do not go there. All right? Don't look at it. I'm just telling you, trust me. Okay? Um, it shows how social media impacts society and shapes it. So, if you point a click a camera at a man wearing a hat, it will go on TV and suddenly hats are in and fashionable. Everybody starts wearing hats. Then you click on a circle person yelling at a square person, it goes on TV and suddenly all the circle and square people start hating on each other. You click on two shapes who are smiling at each other, the comment comes out, peace is boring. Violence goes viral. Or, who tunes in to watch people get along? And so that picture doesn't go on TV because it's not newsworthy. The developer of this simple game captures a fundamental truth. That which we look at the longest and allow to speak the loudest in our lives, it will end up dictating our behavior and shape who we become. But my friends, when we look at Jesus, in all his glory and splendor and beauty, the things around us will grow dim in comparison, and we will learn to better love Him. When we learn to love Him, our hearts will be changed when we learn to better please Him. So when we learn to better please Him, our lives will be transformed to reflect His glory. And when that happens, my brothers and sisters, the world will see a community united in love and reflecting the universe love and glory that is in the Godhead, the Trinity. We become that exceptional community that is inviting to the world. So the only way to achieve this unity in our community is to gaze daily at the glory of our Savior and be filled with a love that is so giving, so forgiving, so sacrificial that we become intrinsically bound to each other, what's and all, with this common love for Christ and for one another. You see, when I gaze at Christ on the cross and see how much He loves us, that while we were yet sinners and His enemy, He was willing to die for you and me, how can I not love those who hate me? When I gaze at Jesus on the cross and see how compassionately He asks His Father to forgive us for we know not what we do, how can I not forgive that brother who hurt me? When I gaze at Jesus on the cross and see how lovingly He asks John the Beloved to care for his earthly mother, how can I not care for those 
around me. The only way to look at people and treat those around us in the way our Lord wants us to is to look at Him on that cross. The more we gaze upon Him, the more we love Him. The more we love Him, the more our love will overflow unto others. That, my friend, that's how we become that exceptional community. And that's not only the result of the preaching of the gospel, but a part of the declaration of the gospel. Then the world will know the good news. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Penang Trinity. I pray that they will love with a love that is passionate, um, that overflows from your love for them, and that they will truly make a difference on this island and beyond, and that they will be the exceptional community, will draw all men to Christ. Father, it's not an easy road, but it is possible. And it comes with loving, forgiving, and sacrificing for one another out of reverence for you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that this will happen because you are sovereign. And when we make you Lord of our lives, you will lead and you will guide and you will create that amazing miracle, that light, that beacon that, will, that is Penang Trinity. I pray this in your name. Amen. We also have some time to think a little bit more and reflect a little bit more. Um, take some time to think about these three questions. Are you currently facing challenging issues in relationships, either personal, at school, or in the workplace? Maybe ask the Lord to um, bring certain people to your mind, if that is the case. The second one, what can you do to change your perspective or the way you respond to such people of circumstances? The change starts from us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. And I'll give you a few moments to make a commitment to pray daily for the person or the situation. And at some point, it would be good to share this with someone you trust for accountability so that they can support you. So let's just take a few moments to just do business with the Lord.